the, the first message is always a, an enormous amount of work because you kind of got to get the whole overview and see how you might want to break it up. And uh, so I've been in it for a while, but uh, God met me so mightily, uh, so unexpectedly this week uh, through Ezekiel that uh, I couldn't wait for this morning. And I'm just so excited to be here, and we're in for a great treat, and it's really about freedom. So we're going to pray, and we're going to be in Ezekiel chapter 1, and I just want to invite you to just uh, close your eyes for a moment, and let's bow before God. As Lord, we've just sung about freedom. You've come to grant us freedom. And so, Lord, uh, through this great prophet Ezekiel, uh, from almost 3,000 years ago, 2,500 years ago, I pray that you might bring to us freedom today. By the Holy Spirit, Lord, anoint us, touch us, that we might be delivered out of slavery into the full freedom of sons and daughters of you, the living God. So we pray you might meet us in this, what's often an obscure book, and uh, I just so look forward to what you're going to do here this morning, in Christ's name. Amen. A few weeks ago, uh, Jerry and I ate at what was called a, what's called a slow food restaurant <laughs> that had a snail of approval, like snail, the animal snail, a snail of approval. And actually, there's, there's a, an organization called Food USA. It's a nonprofit educational organization that was begun in 1986 by a fellow, fellow named Carlo Petrini that's active in 100 countries and has got over 80,000 members worldwide. And, and basically, it was a movement uh, that recognized that as food was becoming increasingly industrialized uh, here in the United States, standardizing the food supply, that thousands of food varieties and tastes were being annihilated for the sake of economics. And, uh, and, and so they began this organization to basically restore uh, what was been the negative impact on the environment, as well as the disappearance of all these foods that we're used to uh, out of economic necessity has been the big trend. And so slow, slow Food, as an organization, aims to be everything fast food is not. It's, you know, it's the opposite, all right? So they give awards to producers and farms and also restaurants uh, that they get a snail of approval. A little snail. I, I should have brought a picture on the PowerPoint. And it's based on three qualities. If, if, if the food is, has quality, by that they mean it must taste good and be good for us in terms of freshness of ingredients and wholesomeness and all that. Secondly, it's got to be authentic, which means it's true to its source. It's not synthetic or genetically enhanced, and, and it's free of additives, you know, natural products, and uh, local. And then thirdly, it's sustainable, which means they pay attention to the consequences of uh, how they produce and distribute food and where it came from. So uh, slow food is, is a whole way of living, and, and it's a way of eating. And so it's been very interesting for me to at least get exposed to this and learn about it because, uh, you know, I live most of my life distracted, you know, multitasking, and uh, preoccupied. And so I'm just working on tasting food, you know, really tasting my food, being present uh, with the gift of God that's in food. Uh, not just eating, standing up, you know, and, uh, you know, walking out the door uh, just to keep going, but actually eating food as a way of remembering God and remembering his presence. And so some of you may know this was a prayer. When, I, when we did a series uh, a few years ago uh, on the Lord's Prayer, uh, and, and give me this day my, our daily bread. This is kind of a prayer that I adapted from a variety of sources, but it's a wonderful prayer as you take a taste of food. You know, oh God, thank you for the earth. In fact, the earth, the, the sky, and the hard work of many people that enables me to enjoy the gift of this food. It's a, it's a wonderful grace. 
you know, and, and uh, very thoughtful grace, worth, you know, writing down and noting as you pray before a meal. But it's that, that recognizing the, the powerful presence of God in, in, in food, really. It's, it's God's in this gift coming to us. And, and a few people counter God's powerful presence in food. Uh, whether it's a meal on a daily basis or a week or a month, it's easy to go years without experiencing God through the taste of food. It's easy to go a whole lifetime without really, really tasting uh, the gift of food. So I say that because today, uh, you know, the theme of today is God's powerful presence. And, and Ezekiel, this, this whole book is about paying attention to God's powerful presence uh, all around us, in all of life. And so Ezekiel, like Jeremiah, he actually lived a little bit after Jeremiah, but he actually experienced, like Jeremiah, before the exile, as they were going to be conquered by the Babylonians, and after they were conquered by the Babylonians, and Jerusalem was destroyed. If you remember this little chart I showed last week, that 586 B.C. was the destruction of Jerusalem. It was a very major event in, in, in the Old Testament. And that is, the known world, as they knew, existed. Jerusalem got raised. It was surrounded by the Babylonian armies, wiped out, destroyed the temple, all the major buildings, uh, you know, people were carried away as slaves hundreds of miles into Babylon. It was the end of the known world as the Israelites had known it for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And, uh, but that, that's why 586 is a very, very big date in uh, biblical history. It was the dismemberment of Israel. It was unthinkable that this event would happen of Jerusalem being destroyed, which is where God's presence dwelled. And uh, they were completely overwhelmed. And so here's Ezekiel now in, in chapter 1, and really in the whole book. Uh, this book is written in Babylon. And he is by a place, we're going to read in just a second, near the Kebar River, K-E-B-A-R, strange place. It's a place they kind of went where they went to pray and be cleansed. It was, it was kind of a part of a little canal, an irrigation system out of the Tigris-Euphrates River. Now we all know it because of the war in Iraq. And uh, so they're in the desert of Iraq, actually. You know, in some kind of canal that must have been built to, you know, irrigate the land. And uh, the, the Jews are around this river, and God shows up. And uh, so Ezekiel is living among these people who are dislocated from their homes. Again, several hundred miles away. They are suffering, and they are traumatized. It's been five years. Just think of Haiti after the earthquake, okay? The suffering and dislocation and trauma. That's what's happened to Jerusalem. They're in trauma as the whole place has been, in their case, literally destroyed, and they've been removed out of the land. Or think of the Holocaust. Okay, for the Jewish people after the Holocaust, the, 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 the sense of dislocation, of being you know, wiped out of Europe. And that's what's happened here to the Jews in, in the, when he's writing this book. It is like everything they've known has been destroyed. And they are shell-shocked. They are confused. And so among the you know, a couple of million people out there now living in Babylon who are Jewish, God's people, you've got some people who are shallow and probably saying things like, you know, oh, God works all things together for good, you know, and they've got kind of a, a shallow optimism. You've got other people who are in, uh, you know, uh, in anger with God about the severity. They knew they weren't living the way they should be living, but this was way over the top, and they're just pure angry about the unjustness and the injustice of God. You've had other people who've quit the faith altogether. They're done with God. He didn't come through the way they hoped, and they've quit. And they're out there by the river with Ezekiel as well. Then you've got folks who are just depressed and in pure despair 
about, you know, if this is how God treats his friends, could you imagine how he treats his enemies? I mean, this is, they're just, they're just, they're depressed and despairing. And so actually, if you read some of the Psalms, they're written in this time period. For example, Psalm 137 reads, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion or Jerusalem. Our tormentors, they refer to Babylonians as tormentors, demanded songs of joy, but how can we sing the songs of the Lord in a foreign land? Because that's the kind of, to get a feel of the, of the anguish uh, and sense of despair. So with that, I want to read our text. Because here's Ezekiel. He's with them by the river, Kabar. All right, we're going to read simply verses 1 to 3, and then I'll jump to uh, 26 to 28. Thus says the Lord, In the thirteenth year, in the fourth month of the fifth day, while I was among the exiles by the Kabar River, the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. On the fifth of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, by the Kabar River in the land of the Babylonians. There the hands of the Lord was upon him. Now, I want you to underline the phrase, okay? In the land of the Babylonians, that last, you know, verse, end of verse 3, there the hand of the Lord was upon him. So the word there, there the hand of the Lord was upon him in the land of the Babylonians. And then he gets his vision. He sees this vision of a windstorm and uh, we'll talk, an immense cloud and flashes of lightning. And the whole chapter is about this vision of God he receives. And then I want you to go down to verse 26. And here's what he says at the end of the vision. Above the expanse, over their heads, was what looked like a throne of sapphire. And high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. And I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire. And that from there down on, he looked like fire. And brilliant light surrounded him, like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day. So was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell face down, and I heard the voice of one speaking. Okay, so... Boom, he's on the ground as he sees this vision. So, so, so now understand, Ezekiel at this time, it says in the text, he's 30 years old. And he was on a career path to be a priest in Jerusalem. And he was actually the son of a priest. And so we know from the book and reading it, he was highly educated, highly well-trained. And he was preparing because at age 30 is when you actually became like an official priest in Jerusalem. And uh, so he had learned a lot of things. He learned anatomy because he would be involved in butchery, as you know, sacrificing animals in Jerusalem. He knew all about those Levitical re uh, regulations in the Bible. All, he knew a lot about history. We know from the book he had a tremendous grasp of international politics and what was going on in the world. But his career gets wrecked by the destruction of Jerusalem. I mean, his career is over. And, uh, and so it's here in in. in by the Kabar River in Babylon, with his career wrecked or smashed, God shows up. God breaks into his life when he himself has lost everything, as well as everybody else, and, and the glory of God shows up. Now, now, the key thing in this text, and what's so amazing is, the glory of God, to this point, was associated with the temple in Jerusalem. I mean, God dwelt in the temple. They went to the temple, into the holy place, and the holy of holies, and the priest went in once a year. But, but that's where God's presence was. It was in Jerusalem in the temple. And the shock of this passage is, 
is that it's in Babylon that God's presence and power and glory are in Babylon. And Babylon is a place of evil. It's a place of contamination. It's a place of the demonic. It's the place of idols. And they're by the Kabar River in the desert somewhere in Iraq, and it's a wasteland. It's lonely. It's desolate. And God's presence shows up in the place they last expected it to show up. And the whole book flows out of that. And so, you know, it's not in the state of Israel. It's in Babylon. And so he is so stunned. Ezekiel, he's stunned. In fact, he's shattered. And you'll find out by chapter 3, after he sees the presence of God and grasps it and the glory of God, he falls on his face and he basically is paralyzed for a week. He's on the ground for a week and in chapter 3 he finally gets up. But that, that's, that's how insignificant this moment was in verses 1 to 3. The key word is the word there. Uh, if you go to verse, verse 3, where it says, The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel by the Kabar River in the land of the Babylonians. And then it says, there, T-H-E-I-E-R-E. That's the key word to the whole book of Ezekiel. There. Because God's not supposed to be there. But it's there, in the land of the Babylonians, is God. And the hand of the Lord is upon him. Wow. God's presence is revealed to him. I could stop right here. I'm telling you, it made my whole week. There. And in Hebrew, it's really clear. There. There. Now, now in God's presence, he's, two things are revealed. It's a very obscure technical complex vision in chapter one i encourage you to read it but there's two themes in this vision uh one is it's about this movement of god you'll see this theme of wheels in this vision wheels and then there's wheels within wheels in this vision and the point of it is god's a moving god god's active and alive he's not static and stuck in the holy of holies in jerusalem he's there and he's got wheels and he's moving and then, he's, then he sees his throne, which I read at the end. He sees a throne. And, uh, you know, God's likeness is the appearance of a human being, kind of pointing to Christ, isn't it? And, and it's like God is very much alive and well. He's very much in control of his, all historical events. It may look like everything's over. It's not. He's on the throne. He's the Lord God Almighty. And he really does have control. And if you have 20-20 vision, you understand you can relax. And it's all about getting 20-20 vision in this text. And, and, and he sees the likeness of the glory of the Lord. That glory is, this, is a very rich word in the Bible. It means like heavy, literally heavy or weighty. And, and God is, it, God's majestic reality has weight. God's presence has, has weight. And uh, the Jews had such a sense of this weight of God, of the, the holiness of God, that, that you know, through history they, they wouldn't say his name. Because there was so much glory or weight in the name of God. And some of you have heard of a group called the Essenes. They were a, uh, a group around the time of Jesus, uh, kind of like monastics. Many believe that John the Baptist was an Essene living in the desert. And these were the fellows that copied the scriptures. And they had such a sense of the glory or the weight of God 
that if they made a little mistake on a letter, say they're copying the entire Old Testament, you know, a couple thousand pages, and they, and they make a little, little, little scribble error into the margin, ah, the whole thing's got to go out. And they've got to do it all over again. Because they had such a sense of, of, of the weight of God, the, the glory of God, such reverence, and uh, they had such a, such a, a sense of, 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 of Scripture and, and the Word of God and, and the weight of God be, who's behind this that... They, 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 as you know, many Messianic Jews today, we have many Messianic Jews in our church right here, uh, you write them, G-D, they won't even write the word God. It's too holy. And, uh, and that's, what, that's what Ezekiel realizes, God's powerful presence. It's, he's on the throne, it's moving, it's glory. And, and God is there when it seems like he's absent. And we can never wrap ourselves around this bigness or massiveness of God and we worship him and we're here before him even if we don't understand what he's doing. Even if we don't like what he's doing. And uh, so these people with Ezekiel are just like us. They have a doctrine that God is everywhere. We believe that God's everywhere, right? God's in Africa, Asia. He's in the mountains, in the city. He's everywhere. But in terms of experience, it's not a lived experience. You follow me? The lived experience was he's in this spot. Jerusalem. Just like us. Now, I thought of my, you know, myself. Before I became a Christian at 19, I rarely sensed the presence of God. Rarely, rarely would I say, oh, God, you know. Um, and then when I became a Christian at 19, I used to have a sense of the presence of God in work. Not, not so much in worship, actually, because I'm more in intellectual bent, you know. I, I used to meet God in Bible studies. I'd sense the presence of God in, in, in sermons, if they were good, you know. Uh, you know, small groups if they were good, you know, and my time alone with God, reading scripture, retreats. And that's where I, that's where I used to meet God. I mean, really have a sense of God's presence. And then as I kind of grew over time, worship, began to just, just love being in worship, um, I got a sense of the presence of God. I remember going to revivals. I, whenever it was, you know, God, I heard God was moving some church, or I'm, get me in the car, I'm going there, you know, and you know, I, want, I want to experience the presence of God. Uh, definitely, had a, when, when people's lives are being changed, phew, really sense the presence of God. When things were going wonderful for me, absolutely, I sensed the presence of God. Uh, but it's been a much slower process for me in my life uh, to actually experience God's powerful presence in difficult times. When I'm living by the K-Bar River, when things are not going well, and uh, in things like work, when it's boring and mundane and and I remember going as a student, even like the classroom. I rarely experienced God in the classroom. You know, I just, and so, so it was really still very much segmented where I experienced the powerful presence of God. It, wasn't, it clearly wasn't all of life like Ezekiel. And so here's the point of this text in Ezekiel, that God's powerful presence is alive and moving. That's the point. It's moving and it's here. He's here. And he's alive. And he invites us to pay attention. Ezekiel pays attention. And he stands up at the end of his vision. And he's transformed. And he actually goes and does some things. But as you know, we're very distracted. We, we are so distracted. I mean, I'm distracted by TV. We're distracted by computer, email, Facebook, social media. I mean, cell phones, internet. We're so wired. It's like a chain. We're chained to our cell phones. It's very difficult to pay attention to God's powerful presence. And and, and we're living in Babylon. We're living in a city and a culture that is not paying attention to God's powerful presence. No one's saying to you on the subway, hey, hey, did you sense the presence of God? 
when that train got stuck there for 15 minutes. No one's beeping their horn, horn on the BQE and saying, hey, you're in traffic, but the powerful presence of God is here. Yeah. So we're not getting that kind of encouragement in our culture. The culture lives as if there is no God. He's absent. He's not even here. You're nuts if you're even thinking about him. And then, you know, what happens is, is, is we get anxious and nervous about our own problems and stuff, and so we just get busier and we get more active. And sadly, even the church today, we tend to compartmentalize God's powerful presence. So, so it's here, and I think we have a sense of God's powerful presence here, you know, in worship. But it's like, you got to come to a meeting for God's powerful presence. Now, I believe we need these meetings. They're important. But even the theology that we teach is very, and I thought about my, my whole history, is very subtle. And that God's powerful presence is segmented and compartmentalized in certain places. And so we don't have this idea or notion of Ezekiel here of that God's powerful presence is in Babylon. Very much. It's as much in Babylon as it is in the middle of a revival during Solomon's time in the glory filling the temple. Simone Weil was a, was a French philosopher, uh, a woman in the, uh, who wrote a number of books about Christ in the 1920s and 30s and 40s. And she got involved in France with the French resistance during the World War II, fighting the Nazis. But she wrote some profound books before she died at 34. Tremendous books. You spell her last name, W-E-I-L. Uh, but she writes about uh, her lifelong commitment to constantly practice paying attention to God that laid behind everything she did and was. And so she talked about prayer as openness to God's presence. But it wasn't mentally working hard to pay attention like we usually think. It was, she, here she defined it. She says, it's this paying attention is this state of active receptivity. I'm just actively receiving so that all of life becomes basically holy. All of life becomes saturated with God. And attention, she writes, is the highest degree of basically spirituality. Attention to God. And it's the essence of what prayer is. You may be saying nothing, but just being attentive is a place of prayer. Very, very powerful. So our entire goal at New Life Fellowship Church, and Drew mentioned the rule of life earlier, our entire goal as a church is that you would be paying attention to the powerful presence of God. I realize that's the whole reason we exist, that you'd be in relationship. Our vision for our children, our youth, They'd be in a relationship with the living Jesus, but actually paying attention to him in all of life. And that's what Ezekiel brings here. It's there in the land of the Babylonians is God. Love it. So I want you to repeat with me a, a phrase, okay? Because the presence of God is even in the polluted, contaminated, idolatrous land of Babylon. And here's the phrase I want you to repeat. God's powerful presence is there. Okay, so we say, for example, I don't know, where is God? The answer is, together, God's powerful presence is there. That's a, that's a phrase I want you to go home with today. Okay, like, where, 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 I don't know, where, where is it? Where, what's going on? Ha, the answer is, God's powerful presence is there. It's that word there is the key word in that text in verses one to four. It's there, because you don't think he's there. Now, one of the books... You know, I like to read a lot of different types of books. One of the books I read in the last few months was a book called uh, Time of Grace. And 
You see, God's powerful presence is found in the most unlikely places. And it's about a fellow named Ken Lamberton, and he was, he's a sex offender. <clears throat> uh, in, in 1986, he was a science teacher in Arizona, actually won, had won an award as Teacher of the Year. Uh, and uh, he was married, had three small children. He was 27 years old. And he begins an affair with a 14-year-old student. And the affair develops to the place where he actually runs off with the girl, leaves his family, three kids and wife, and gets caught in Colorado months later, uh, and he's sentenced to 12 years in prison. And so he writes this book out of prison. And uh, he ends up in prison actually until September 25th, 2000, over 40 years old. And he writes beautifully about the Arizona, he's in Arizona in the desert, about nature and about I'll use the phrase, eruptions of grace. Just grace erupting. Very moving. Uh, he writes about his life with hundreds of sex offenders. And we get to actually know them, you know, and their stories. And things happen in prison to him. You know, things like on an early visit, the first or second year, his wife comes to show up to him, and, and one of his daughters is there, and they strip search her naked. You know, she's so traumatized, her and her eldest daughter, they end up, they end up in therapy for a year, just recovering from that incident alone. You know, he's left unprotected with, because they hate sex offenders, he's left unprotected with serial murders, murderers. And he gets jumped and, you know, beat up, broken ribs by the members of the Aryan nation. He asked the warden for protection, refused. You know, drugs are everywhere, you know, behind bars. And it's not because the visitors bring them in, it's the guards that are bringing them in. And as he keeps saying, who guards the guards? It's the problem in the prison for him in this long time period. And, and so he writes about all these absurdities of, of the intricacies of prison life. Now, it's, his wife, Karen, stays with him through this whole time. And his marriage and family actually survives. And she's constantly quoting Hosea, as Hosea stayed with his wife. And, but what's interesting is her simplistic faith was destroyed by her husband's prison experience. It survived his unfaithfulness to her. It survived his years in prison. It survived her poverty. She ended up going to study law, became a lawyer to win his release. But she can't stand comforting Christian cliches that she had learned before. And uh, she now has a new faith. As she writes, battle-hardened and caustically funny. She no longer abides by the simple faith that if you're good, everything's going to be wonderful. And if you're bad, you're going to get punished. Now she knows mystery, and she can say, I don't know. And she no more, things are black and white. She understands the complexities. But it's just interesting how both their faith and family emerge out of this. But God's powerful presence is there in the sex offender unit in that Arizona prison. Very much there. I think you read this guy's description of butterflies and, you know, lizards and Tremendous, just tremendous work. God's powerful presence is there. Some of you have jobs where you work for the educational system or the city um, or a large institution, maybe on Wall Street or corporate world or a hospital, and um, it, it's just a tough environment. It's, it's Babylonian. It's contaminated. It's polluted. Uh, or maybe you work in real estate or your work is, is looking for work because you're unemployed or you're a mom and dad at home, and maybe your, your, your job place is boring, your boss is irate and a pain in the neck, 
your co-workers gossip and slander you and God, and yet you say to yourself, this is where I spend most of my life. Most of my waking hours are in this place, and it's polluted, it's contaminated, and it's idolatrous. And you get angry, and you get despaired, and here's the word of the Lord. Together, God's powerful presence is there. God's powerful presence is there. You know, I, I, I know enough of you to know that a number of you were in very painful circumstances, difficult circumstances. And whether it's being judged or misunderstood or your own sins, and you wonder, can I recover? What's interesting about this is the Israelites are in Babylon because of their sin. I mean, they're in Babylon because they rebelled and would not listen to the voice of God. And this is part of their discipline from the Lord. And they're, they're in Babylon because of their choices. Some of you are in very difficult situations because you've actually made some wrong choices. But I got good news for you. Together, God's powerful presence is there. You see, even if you're there out of your own sin or ignorance or you're in a situation or circumstance, you have no idea why you're there. He follows you wherever you go. It's amazing. He's following you. And God's powerful presence is there. And you may say, it's demonic, it's demonic. Maybe so. But the good news is, together, God's powerful presence is there. Tremendous. Some of you are married or, or you're single in a close relationship with somebody, and you know what it's like to have friction in those very intimate relationships. It's pretty close to hell on earth when things are going bad if you're married. And you want to quit and run. Now, the key is not to be simplistic about this whole thing. God, when I say God's powerful presence is there. Because, you see, let's say, for example, if I can use Jerry, you know, having quit uh, new life and, you know, a, a number of years ago and saying because of my own stubbornness, I know it's hard to believe, but stubbornness. <laughs> that she was going to quit participating in my dysfunction out of love for me and quit. God's powerful presence was in that. It was in her getting the courage to maturely assert herself and get away from the God talk and being a non-human being and her growing up. And God was sure in our pain in his powerful presence and God was in me having to get some help to grow up as well. But you see, as you're in a place of pain or difficulty, the question is God, okay, one, God, say it together, God's powerful presence is there. But now the question is, God, what do you want me to do in this circumstance? What do you want me to do? Or maybe the question is, what do you want to change in me? What are you trying to get through in me? Because pain forces us to grow up. It forces me to grow in areas I don't want to grow in, to pay attention and to learn. And so when you're in pain, you've got to ask yourself, God, how are you coming to me? And if you're not sure, it's very important that you seek out somebody who's mature. Someone, a lot of people remain stuck. They don't know where God is, but they're so stuck because they don't ask anybody. They don't ask for some, I'm talking about wise counsel, you know, mentors, directors, therapists. Not, not counsel that's going to confirm your worst self. God's nowhere. Curse them and die. You don't need those people, you know. <laughs> blame them, blame them, blame them. No, you don't need those people around you, okay? Solomon got wrong counsel. It destroyed his life. So make no mistake about it. 
When you don't know, when you're by the Kabar River, and you don't know where God is, but God's powerful presence is there, you better seek out counsel from the right people. And because uh, you're in a very, very scary spot. This past week, um, uh, a, a, um, one of the founding members of New Life called me, or said I was called on his behalf. His name was Miguel. Some of you know him. Miguel, um, went, when we planted a church on College Point, he went with that College Point. So he's not been here for, you know, probably, I don't know, 10, 12 years. But uh, he, uh, he called me because he wanted to see me. He's actually, he was sent home recently from the hospital because he's dying of cancer. He's got a couple more weeks to live. And we got on the, he's only 51. And we were lying on the bed together, you know, this double bed, you know, and we both got our hands up like, you know, on our, this kind of elbows on the bed. And, uh, and he says to me, you know, Pete, it's amazing. Well, it's incredible. He was so articulate. The guy, the guy was so articulate, so sharp, so full of God. I was like overwhelmed by the whole experience. And he turns to me and says, Pete, what's amazing is how alive God is. I never would have thought in the middle of something so horrible, God is so real. He goes, the way he's working, I'm, I'm in perfect peace. I, I look forward to, to, to seeing him face to face. 50% of me wants to go. 50% wants to stay. But there's so much good happening in my life right now, my family and relationships and this opportunity. People come into Christ and doors are opening. And, but it was just amazing. I was just so aware. I said, we're lying in this double bed and, and like God's powerful presence is there. It's just, it's just, just amazing. I, I ain't go on, right? I mean, we just, you know, whether it's people in your life, you know, Jesus saying I was hungry and, and you fed me, I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. I'm trying to listen more than I speak. And I was with a friend recently, and she was telling me about this cooking class she's taking. And I just try to shut my mouth and listen. It's not her job, but she's now taking up cooking and culinary classes in Manhattan. And, and I realized as she was talking, I, I just realized there was something so holy about her talking about the meals she's creating. And it was something so alive was coming out of her. I just was so aware, it was a subway train, of God's powerful presence. I said, it's amazing. But most of the time, I'm not even paying attention to God's powerful presence. I'm just like, finish up. I want to talk about the Mets, you know, or something else, you know. So some of you are going on a Memorial Day picnic tomorrow with the young adults. God's powerful presence is there. Whether it's a rule of life retreat or your small group or serving a children's church or being an usher or being a greeter or hospitality downstairs. Do you understand? Together, God's powerful presence is there. And the invitation of Ezekiel is pay attention. You know, pay attention. That's why I like to light a candle in the middle of my day sometimes before I go into a meeting that's full of stress. And uh, because it's a way to draw my attention, our attention to God. With just a little bit of attentiveness, your whole life will be changed. Just a little bit, I'm telling you, a little bit of attentiveness to God's powerful presence. You'll be amazed at how you'll sail through the most difficult situations. You'll be like, oh yeah, but God's powerful presence is here. It's going to be okay. You know Moses, at the end of his life, uh, you know the story of Moses? At the end of his life, Moses is at, is at the promised land. He's 120 years old. He spent 40 years, okay, leading them through the desert. But remember, he struck a rock twice, and God said, you're not going into the promised land because of the way you, you know, disobey me, blah, blah, blah. So he's 120 years old, he's about to die, and he's looking at the promised land, and God says, you're not going in. And here he is. Now, before, he's angry, he's, you know, hitting rocks, you know. But now, he's at total peace. He's just like, ah. It's like he and God are like old friends. They've been together a long time, like an old married couple on the porch. Eh, just happy to be together, you know. But by the time Moses gets to the end of his life, his journey has so changed him. He's so at peace. Him and God have such a relationship that he realizes that the very presence of God is the promised land. Do you realize? 
you have goals, and I have goals, and places we want to go, and, and, and people we want to meet, and, 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 God, and you realize God's goal is to get us to a place where his presence is the promised land. And that's why when you die, you say, ah, oh, physical death, ah, oh, it's just one more step towards intimacy with God and experiencing his powerful presence. The presence of God is the land flowing with milk and honey. It's what you really are longing for, and so am I. And this is what Ezekiel learned, and that's his message for us today. Together, God's powerful presence is there. I love it. I can go through anything knowing that reality. Now, in closing, listen, sin can separate us, undoubtedly. You grasp, you strive, you know, and, 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 and we make choices that cut us off from God, and we become blind and deaf and hard. The Bible talks about that. And, 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 or we get busy, the great enemy, enemy of spirituality, you know, we're, we become like an oil spill on the Gulf. We're dangerous and toxic, you know. And, and it's true. Sin can separate us, but God's presence is there. We're just, we're blind to it. And some of you may be carrying some sin or some choices you're making that, that it's, just, it's, just, it's just blocking you in blindness and deafness. So here's the miracle of Christianity. God is here. God himself comes to earth in the person of Jesus. This man on the throne that he gets a glimpse of, God comes to earth. The first Christmas, a baby lives among us, dies, rises from the dead, sends the Holy Spirit. God is here. The powerful presence of God is here, everywhere. And he invites us to pay attention. So I want to close. Worship team, come forward. Because the effect on Ezekiel is utter awe. He falls on his face in awe. So let's do this as we close. I want to do a little... Um, there's a verse in Psalm 139 from David. He goes, you hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. What we're talking about here, friends, is a knowledge too wonderful. It's, this is too wonderful that God's powerful presence is that much in your life, with your kids, with your marriage, with your friendships, with your loneliness as a single person, with your workplace, I mean, with your dilemmas and your... God's powerful presence is there. What a truth. And so what I want to do is I want to take this verse. You hem me in behind and before. And, and you lay your hand upon me. Now, I'm going to read it twice. Now, the word hem me in. Now, here's, God, here's what David realizes. God, you hem me in. He gets the Ezekiel revelation. Now, hand me in is like, like, it's like I'm boxed in. I was thinking about, you know, you know it's like God's, on the, I can't move. I go over here, you're there. You know, I go, it's like, God, I, like, you hand me in, you box me in. You're everywhere, I can't get away. Yes, God's powerful presence. As David realized, you hand me in behind me and before me. Here is you're trying to escape, run your own life. It's God's powerful presence, you know, you just gotcha. And you realize, as you pay attention, you realize, oh my goodness, he's everywhere. That's why David says, oh, such knowledge is too lofty for me to attain. And you've laid, that's the word, Ezekiel says, you laid your hand upon me. You realize, oh my gosh, God, think of a hand, God's hand. Think of God's hand on your head. Oh my, I'm trying to, and I'll go, you lay your hand upon me. It's exactly what happened to Ezekiel here. So we're going to take, we're going to do a Lectio Divina abridged. Lectio Divina is a, is a way we meditate on Scripture. And so I'm going to read this verse twice. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes. If you, not yet, not yet. 
And I want you to do the four movements. Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to read it twice, and I want you to just think about that hemming in, okay, and laying around, just think about it. And then I want you to meditate on what phrase strikes you, what, what phrase or word touches you. It may be the word, you know, you know laid, you know, maybe hemming. You know, it may be behind or before. You're trying to go forward. It's like you're trying to go, you're, you're running your own life right now, and it's like God's got you. But one of these phrases might grab you. You lay your hand upon me and just let a phrase hit you. And then I want you to pray it back to God. Say, oh, God, I surrender my will to you. I'm, I'm trying to run away from you. Or, God, I, I thank you that your hand's upon me. I can't believe such grace. And then I, then I want you to, I'm just going to give you, you know, 30 seconds. I'm going to invite you to the end just to kind of just like rest in his presence. Just rest in his presence, okay? So let's bow with me for a moment, okay? And close your eyes. I'll read the text twice. And let God cause a phrase or a word to call out to your heart right now where you are. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Maybe you have some limits in your life or some circumstances in your life that are boxing you in. Hear the word of the Lord. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. And just take a deep breath and just rest in the love of God for you that is limiting you and hemming you in. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together. So we close here. I want to invite the altar teams to come forward. And we've got the Lord's table over there. As again, it's a bread and a cup or an opportunity to experience God's powerful presence. But uh, as we close here, we have some prayer teams up here. And it's interesting, you know, prayer teams lay hands on you, which are meant to be laying the hand of God on you. And I don't know, you may be, you may be numb to God's powerful presence in your life right now for whatever reason, whether it be sin or just ignorance or just busyness or distraction or whatever. But you know things are not right. And I want to invite you to come for prayer. It's a sign of turning towards God, uh, offering your will to God, open your eyes and melt you that you might become aware of his powerful presence that is there. And he's not, he's pursued you and not walked away from you. So I want to invite you to come for prayer and don't run out this room. Okay, so just bow and let's receive a blessing as we go as the communion tables here and the prayer teams to your left. And so may the Lord open your eyes and your ears and your heart. May God give you the grace to be receptive to his powerful presence that is all over your life. And may your hearts be knit and become one with the heart of God.
And may you, like Ezekiel, experience the hand of God upon you that hems you in behind and before as you leave this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Lord bless you, everybody.